I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Touch Em All podcast. I'm Derek Wetmore, 1500ESPN.com. I'm flying solo today, no Phil Mackey. This podcast is a repeat of our Touch Em All Facebook feed, if you want to call it that. I just do a live Facebook show every Friday from my home studios, and we take twins questions for about an hour usually over lunch break on Friday. Today's topics include questions from the listeners on Facebook, whatever you guys have. I'll gladly dive into that. But I've also got to defend myself a little bit as the Twins have started playing better baseball and Twins Cold Takes is going after me on Twitter. So I'll uh, fight back on that. And then also kind of a fun talker slash it would never happen, but it's fun to think about. Who would make the best two-way player on the Twins? We'll talk about that and I'm sure a lot more on today's episode. So let's start by diving right into the questions. When we run out of questions, I'll get to the uh, two-way player top topic. So we started with uh, Dan was in here first. What's up, Dan? I see Dan and Dustin and Jonathan have things to say. So let's start with Dan who asks, is there any chance the Twins extend Dozier before the trade deadline? If not, what are the odds he's on the team next year? And this is something we've talked about kind of a lot this winter. You know, is Brian Dozier a trade candidate? No, not anymore. Now that you're a contender, you want his 35 home runs in the lineup. Um, Is he an extension candidate? I heard that the Twins didn't really even spend that much time talking about it with Dozier and his representatives this winter. And if you're Brian Dozier, you could be forgiven if you took that as a slight. I think I certainly would in that situation. You know, hey, what more do I have to do? I signed a team-friendly contract. I've over-delivered. And now where's the loyalty? It's kind of like what Lance Lynn talked about in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this week. I don't know if you guys saw the column. Um, I retweeted uh, Benjamin Hokeman, who had uh, basically talked with Lynn after having covered him for the Cardinals for all those years. He talked to Lynn about, kind of a weird free agency for you, huh? And Lynn said, yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, I was here for seven years, and there's basically no loyalty. Uh, you know, he turned down the qualifying offer of something like $17.5 million and then had to settle for one year $12 million. So obviously a little jarring situation for Lance Lynn, and, and now he's got to go earn another contract. But the same situation faces Brian Dozier right now. To answer your question, Dan, like, I am pretty sure that the Twins are going to make it a habit to not extend players during the season. Um, I should say that if they will talk about it, certainly they won't talk to us about it. They will not air that stuff in the media. One day it'll just be done, or it won't be. And so I think that the odds are really low that he would be extended before the trade deadline. And not to go all pessimistic about this, but if the Twins fall out of it, they would probably look to trade Brian Dozier at the trade deadline. Get some value for him while you can. Uh, Brian Dozier's a great player. He's been a great twin. I wrote the other day that he just doesn't always get the appreciation that he deserves. Um, I like him in the two-hole. We can talk about that later, I'm sure, if other people have questions about it. But, like, I think the odds are pretty low that you'd extend him now. And then, so to answer your second question, what are the odds he's on the team next year? Not great. Uh, I would say... Not 50%, just because, you know, if you're Dozier, if I'm Dozier and I'm in his shoes right now, I'm playing this season, I'm singularly focused on being good this season. Well, then the offseason comes inevitably, whether it's after a wild card game or no playoffs or a World Series championship. I'm then focusing on, okay, what's next? What is my best option? Dozier said time and time again that he loves playing in Minnesota and that he wants to be here. But I also wouldn't blame him if he was feeling kind of snubbed or, you know, disrespected almost for not getting contract extension talks. And so then I'd explore my options. I'd figure out, hey, who highest bidder mixed with what's the best situation for me? I I mean, you could see a team like the Miami Marlins way overpaying and still not wanting to go there. So you got to take in things like that 
uh, into consideration, but um, maybe the Twins offer the best for him. Maybe they're the best home for him, and he's just the most comfortable there. I don't know. I'm just saying that there's probably going to be a team that needs him more than the Twins need him next year, and if this past winter is any indication, uh, the Twins are going to play it kind of patient and close to the vest with some of the middle infield prospects that they've got coming. So I don't know if that's a good answer to your question, Dan, but that's kind of how I see the situation playing out right now is Dozier has a great year in Minnesota and then sees what's next. Um, I see a bunch more questions popping in. Um, So I should really, maybe we should get to the two-way thing before we run out of time. Um, But I I said I'd answer questions first, so we'll start with that. I see Jonathan, Ryan, Nick, Robert, Jake, Andrew, and Dan popped back in with another one. So um, thanks for joining the chat, guys. This is awesome. If you are in it and you haven't hit like already, push the like button just so, like, Facebook thinks this is a cool video. We can sort of trick their algorithm if enough people like this to share it with more people. Um, I'm not saying you have to actually like the video, but if you just push the Facebook like button, we can lie to their algorithm. Um, Dan's got another question. He says, how difficult is it to work with Chris Reavers at 1500? I can answer that question with one word. Extremely. It's extremely difficult to work with Chris Reavers at 1500. No, he's one of my favorite people to talk baseball with. We don't always agree. In fact, we often disagree. Um, but we've, we've done our battles, I think, over the years. Uh, Jonathan says, Maurer needs to be moved back to the second slot. Dozier back to the leadoff. What do you think? Jonathan, I disagree with you. I actually kind of like Maurer leading off, and I like Dozier hitting second. Um, Did I write about this the other day, or was I just tweeting about it? Let me see if I can find proof of of having written. Hmm. Hang on two seconds while I check our Twins page. Hey, and if you are looking for more Twins stuff, I just bookmark our Twins page, 1500ESPN.com slash section slash twins. I don't know why we – this should be an easier URL than that. But that is uh, the page that I've got bookmarked so you can see all our Twins stuff. I wrote a story on Eduardo Escobar crushing it. I wrote one today. Here's the headline. Max Kepler is such a boss for that home run. Uh, I'm talking about the uh, he gets hit in the knuckles and then the next pitch crushes a line drive over the right field wall. That was pretty cool for Kepler. Um, I'm looking for my column here, Jonathan. Yep, there it is. Okay, so the Joe Maurer leadoff discussion I wrote about in the Five Thoughts column. If you want to just search for it, it's called Gibson's Good Outing, um, Wetmore, Five Thoughts, all that stuff. And I'll just... I won't read from it because, and I know you can all read, but I basically just talked about, I like it for two reasons. The first is because Joe Maurer is the lineup's best on base threat. He gives you the best chance to get on board in front of the quote-unquote run producers, and Dozier, with Sano out, is obviously one of the best run producers in the Twins lineup. So I like it for that reason because Maurer's kind of like the quintessential table setter. He's going to see a lot of pitches, including taking, this is maddening, I know to everybody, takes a 3-1 fastball right down the gut yesterday, and you're thinking, what more were you looking for? Like, how more perfect could that have been? And you can't rip Maurer for it because on the next pitch, a full count, he drives the ball into left field for another base hit, and he's Joe Maurer. He's reached base, I think, I think my math is right on this. In 27 of his 29 starts, Joe Maurer has been on base. So take that and insert it at the top spot in the lineup. Yes, you'll take that. And then the second reason I like it, Jonathan, is because suddenly Brian Dozier has a better chance to hit multi-run home runs, which he did last night in Anaheim. He hits a three-run jack. And that, to me, is not always in Brian Dozier's control. He doesn't get to choose that he comes up with the bases empty and that's the only time he'll get a fastball at the top of the zone that he can take out to left field with regularity. That's not Dozier's fault, but if you're the Twins, try to put him in that spot as often as possible with runners on base, especially if you've then got great hairs behind him. And, you know, we can say anecdotally he's going to get more fastballs in those spots with good hitters 
behind him, runners on base in front of him. Dozier does his best work against fastballs. If you try to maximize that, and more importantly, maximize the situations that Brian Dozier, one of your best hitters, is coming up with runners on base, that's, I think, best for the Twins. So there's a lot that goes into it. I'm personally a pro Joe Maurer leadoff. I think that's what the Twins should be doing. And if Dozier hits second, I see that as a very big compliment by uh, Paul Molitor because a lot of lineups these days are using their best hitter second. So anyways, that's kind of rambling, but that's par for the course on this podcast. So um, Joe Maurer won, Brian Dozier two, and figure it out from there. It looks a little bit better if Byron Buxton's back swinging good like he was down the stretch last year. It looks better if Max Kepler and Eddie Rosario and Eduardo Escobar continue to crush it like they have. And then, obviously, it looks better if Miguel Sano is back in there. Logan Morrison's heating up. So, like, this lineup's pretty good. I'm not trying to take anything away from this offense. Uh, For my money, I've said this multiple times, dating back to, like, last August. This is one of the best lineups in baseball. So, um, I think we'd be nitpicking, too, if we said, like, they're hitting out of order. I like to whine about that stuff. I get it. But there's, there's a lot to like there on the Twins lineup. Okay, clicking back over to the page. Uh, Let's see. Ryan has a question on Boreos. Ryan says, what's going on with Boreos? I don't know, man. It's been a couple starts now that you're almost, you're a little bit worried. Uh, I saw Lavelle pointed it out on Twitter, so I'll give credit where it's due. The curveball was a great pitch for Barrios early. It led to his complete game shutout in Baltimore. He was just great, swing and miss stuff. I've talked on and on and on in the past about loving that two-seam action when he throws his fastball. He's obviously got the mid-90s four-seam. But his curveball is kind of the straw that stirs the drink when he's got that going, and you can get ahead in the count. He can throw it for strikes, but more importantly, when he gets to two strikes, he can use it as a put-away pitch. It's a real hammer, swing, and miss. Um, kind of two different breaking balls, which we've we've talked on and on and on about. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. One is the little bit more of the overhand motion. If that's swing and miss, great. But the one that really jumps out at you on TV, you're like, whoa, is the one that runs across the entire plate and has more horizontal axis break and that's the one that misses a lot of bats that's the one that makes guys look bad and I guess I don't know I haven't seen that a lot from him lately I think it's control first and foremost because when you start out ahead in the count your stuff plays up Um, but after that then I think it could be as simple as like he hasn't found the breaking ball recently um so, Ryan, I, I don't know if that answers your question because I don't think that's necessarily a long-term panic. I've seen a lot of people on social media, as social media is wont to do. It stirs up anxiety, and we're all worried that, oh, no, our ace is broken. I'm not ready to rush to those judgments, but I will say that it's been a multi-start trend, and it's something to keep an eye on. If if Boreos is not at the top of his game, obviously this rotation takes a, a step backwards. So, um Monitor it, but try not to panic too much. I'm, I am I said on the radio this past week that I will not miss a Barreo start and I will not miss a Romero start for the rest of the season. Um, if I've got a wedding and Lance Lynn is starting, you know, I'll tape it. But those other two guys, 40% of the Twins rotation right now is uh, must-see baseball, even as Barreos kind of scuffles through it a little bit. Okay, let's see. Uh, Nick. So Nick says, this is a common question. Nick, I'm just going to be really short on it. No offense. Uh, If and when Santana returns, um, who is the top candidate to lose a rotation spot? That would be Irvin Santana. I don't know because these questions always answer themselves. Like somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to be performing poorly or, you know, It'll be much easier to say that when Irvin Santana gets back. Keep in mind, too, I said this on the last podcast, so maybe just dig back into the archives if you really want some Trevor May talk. Trevor May probably is going to beat Irvin Santana back. I mean, it looks like it at this point. So who gives up their rotation spot when Trevor May is healthy? Because uh, not like he's a you got to give him a rotation spot guy, but I think if Trevor May is in the rotation for 20 starts, you're going to be happy with the outcome. Um, they're going to have 
hate to say it, an embarrassment of riches at some point here coming up. Maybe somebody moves to the bullpen. I don't know. Somebody asked me, I think last week, if Fernando Romero should be the closer instead of a starter. And I think if he's being this successful in the starting rotation, you take that and run with it. I don't think you move him to the closer's role. Um, he's just a lot more valuable as a starting pitcher if if this is who he's going to be. That, yeah, walks are a little bit of an issue, but he's not giving up a ton of loud contact. He swing and miss pitches are there. He's got the fastball velocity. He seems to have the sort of veteran composure, whatever you want to call it. I I think I like Fernando Romero in the starting rotation right now. And, hey, that's going to be a fun matchup on Sunday. Sunday I might have something, so I, I lied a little bit. I'll, I'll probably have to tape that game. But Fernando Romero against Shohei Otani, that's must-watch baseball. So that'll be fun. If you're only watching one Twins game this weekend with the West Coast, I'd say watch that 3 o'clock game on Sunday because that's going to be the uh, fireworks display. Um, Robert... Robert says, when do we get rid of uh, uh, of Molly, Paul Molitor? When are you going to fire the manager? I think it would be surprising to see that right after he signs a three-year contract, but I don't know. Um, if the Twins don't go to the postseason this year, do they deem that it's Paul Molitor's fault? Are they willing to pay out that contract? I don't think it's Paul Molitor's fault. I think uh, if you're looking for Molitor hate, you're going to have to find another Facebook chat. Uh, Jake says, are the Twins better without Sano? Addition by subtraction, better at bats and defense with his replacements. All right, good question, Jake. And the quick answer is no, but you're not the only person that says this. I have people in my office asking me this. And I don't think it is. Like, Sano was not great in the first part of the season. Let's look up his fan graphs real quick, just out of curiosity. How many wins above replacement has he been worth in the month that he played? Yeah, basically he's, I mean, he's basically a replacement level player. He's hitting fine, you know, 289 on base, which is bad, 450 slugging, which is good, 317 Woba, which is all right. Um, Certainly not the great standard we'd come to expect from Sano. And, I mean, defensively, he was bad. There's no two ways about that, and I've been a Sano defender in the past. But 40% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate, that's not going to get her done, I don't think, over a full season. And now, obviously, we've seen, can he stay healthy for a full season? That's a very open question. Um, so is he? are the Twins better off without him, though? No, because I think Sano is better than the player that he's been so far. That's just my personal opinion. And um, he needs to cut down on strikeouts. He needs to be better defensively to be that super positive player. And you say better at-bats and defense from his replacements. That's true. Eduardo Escobar's been awesome. He's been so good for the Twins. But when you lose Sano, you move Escobar to third base, and then it's some combination of A-Ray, Drianza, and Gregorio Petit at shortstop. Look, Escobar's just an upgrade over those two guys. I love Adrianza's glove. But as a complete player, you'd rather have Sano and Escobar than Escobar and Adrianza slash Petit. I think that's just pretty non-controversial. And then if Sano gets hot or returns to Sano-level production, keep in mind this guy's a career 250, 344, 493 hitter. I mean, they're just... There are some guys that have that kind of power, but not many consistently. And you run a 12% walk rate up with that. And, I mean, you're talking about a really valuable offensive player. I still think he needs to cut down on the strikeouts. I still think that he can improve as a hitter. But if he's just like his baseline hitter, he's one of your best hitters in a pretty good lineup. So that's that's a compliment. And I think the Twins will be better once Sano's back in the lineup rather than playing through without him. Yes, his replacement's been awesome, but if you could just use his replacement as a shortstop instead of as the third baseman and then slide up the chain for some glove-first guys, I think that the Twins would be better off. So, But I don't have any update on Sano's health. I don't know where he's at. I haven't talked to him recently. I haven't talked to the Twins recently because I'm in... Well, I'm in Bloomington. I'm in the Twin Cities. The Twins are on the West Coast, so... Um, I don't have a health update for you. I wish I did. 
Okay, Andrew. Gosh, a lot of questions here. Um, I see Andrew, Dan, Leland, Greg, and then Kurt says hello. Hi, Kurt. Um, Andrew says, why didn't they call Gordon up? Adrianza is getting way too much playing time. I understand if it was a week, but... Yeah, so you're saying, like, why not plug in Nick Gordon as the everyday shortstop and see what happens? I could I could see that. To be honest with you, I would not throw up a stink because if you're playing the service time game, that's a little weird. I think that's a little weak, but I don't think that's necessarily what they're doing, right? Isn't Nick Gordon still at Chattanooga? I'd have to double-check, guys. Rochester roster... I don't think Nick Gordon has been promoted. I know Stephen Consalves got promoted to AAA. But yeah, I don't see... I'm not seeing Nick Gordon here. So let's see what Nick Gordon's hitting in Chattanooga, shall we? Stats. Oh, not the league leaderboard. We want the lookouts leaderboard. Nick Gordon... All right, Nick Gordon's hitting 342 with a 381 on base percentage and a 542 slugging in Double A in the Southern League. That's, as Larry David would say, that's pretty good. Um, nine doubles, three triples, and three home runs. That that's starting to look like a bat that can play. And and I've I've been on Gordon all along. While people say like he doesn't have an elite tool, I say yeah, but he doesn't have a huge weakness like. You're pretty confident that Nick Gordon's going to play and play every day in the majors. You cannot say that about a lot of prospects. So I think that there is something to that. Why not just plug him in now? I know he'd have to be added to the 40-man, but that argument rings hollow because the Twins already had to make a 40-man move to go get Gregorio Petit. I think, um, is that the move where they outrighted Dietrich Enns and he cleared waivers and then they just outrighted him to the minors? Like, there you go, 40-man spot created, and I guess that could have been Nick Gordon's. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you on on why you wouldn't just plug in Nick Gordon um, other than I'm guilty of this all the time. We tend to look at minor league stats and say, yep, he's ready. That's ready to translate. Giddy up, let's go. And it sometimes works out, sometimes it doesn't. So maybe the Twins saw something that they were saying – Hey, he's getting away with something in the Southern League that just wouldn't play in the majors. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, it would present a bit of a weird situation, not that this would be a bad problem to have, but in July when Jorge Polanco is ready to be activated from his suspension, now you just send Gordon to the minors and say, sorry, bud. I don't know. I'm sure that's not what made the decision, but I was definitely watching that roster move just like you were to see, hey, are the Twins ready to just call him up and let's go with Nick Gordon, or are they going to play it patient? Looks like they're going to play it patient. Uh, okay, it's after 1 o'clock. I do see some more questions here. I promise that I'll get to those, but I have to defend myself. I got some uh, chirping on Twitter today, which is totally fair. I'm I'm always open to that. That's fine. If I'm going to criticize ball players, I deserve criticism when I'm wrong too. But I have to uh, I have to defend my honor right now. I'm clicking over to the Twitter tab so I can read you this thread verbatim, and then I'll respond to it. All right, Twins cold takes. I know you listen to the podcast, so here it is. I'm actually not mad. I'm just trying to be dramatic about this. Uh, Twins Cold Take says, Now that I've arrived home safely and I'm back in the U.S., I am going to fully address this cold take by Mr. Non-Zero himself. And I should point out that this originally started from uh, Twitter follower Brad Simon, a loyal follower who has a pretty... It's funny. It's pretty funny. On Twitter, he (laughs) took a screen grab of my column... And then the little SpongeBob meme that says, eight days later, Wetmore, my funny math says it's pretty much over for the Twins. SpongeBob, eight days later. And then a screen grab of the MLB standings where the Twins were a half game out of first place in the American League Central. So I have to admit, that was funny. It got me. Um, 
And that's what Twins Cold Takes took and ran with. Said, first thing, I love Derek Wetmore. The Touch Em All podcast he does with Phil Mackey is, for my money, one of the best sources of Twins talk. On top of that, Derek is also a fantastic writer. Now let's get to the ugly stuff. Before we get to the ugly stuff, Twins Cold Takes, thank you for the compliments. Much appreciated. Then... They go on to say, the Twins were playing like garbage. It wasn't the front office. It wasn't Molitor. The players were just not showing up and making a ton of mistakes. They deserve to be criticized and possibly written off. The idea that Derek was trying to get across was fair. What wasn't fair, he continues, or she continues, I don't actually know who runs Twins Cold Takes. Shoot me a message, and uh, and I'll get you some pub. Um... What wasn't fair was chalking it up to math when you were early in the season. Even the last plate, White Sox are eight games out right now. They don't have math that says that they can't win the division. Will they? No. But not because of the early season math. It's because of talent, end quote. So this was about an hour ago on Twitter. I haven't responded. Here's my official response on the webcast, video, podcast, whatever. This is accurate. This is right. This is a fair criticism of something that I wrote earlier this season. Uh, I got no problem with anything written in any of these tweets, especially the parts where they compliment the podcast and my writing. That was the best part for my money. But I do think that it's fair to talk about math if we're including one thing, and this might just be a fundamental disagreement. If we are including projection systems, which I put stock into, then math matters. If you think that the Twins were a 90-win team coming into this season, and then they got off to a horrible start, you then would say, all right, if you win at a 90-win pace the rest of the way, this horrible start has cost you possibly a playoff spot. That's exactly what I was saying. I think if you say the Twins are a 90-win team, you're not saying, well, they might get off to a putrid start and then rebound and become one of the hottest teams in baseball for a month, and then they'll just kind of level out as a 500 team, and whatever, scribble some math, and eventually it all works up to 500. That's not how I view it. I view it as like, okay, if you were an 86-win team, I think the projections had him at 85, 86 wins on Pakoda, um, Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, all had him as like a mid-80s win team. And I said, hold on, they're a little light. I think the Twins are better than this because they have a bad schedule and you're underrating some of the Twins' talent, which is like such a hometown take. I get it. People nationally are going to make fun of me for that. But I'm really close to this team. I follow them closely. I follow their development curves. I understand the math. And I was saying, nah, that's a little light. The Twins are a fringe playoff, probably a wild card team if things go right for them. And and they could win 90, 90 90-plus games. Well, then you got off to that bad start. And I said, okay, if you were a 90-win team before and you're here now in the standings, you've got a lot of ground to make up. And my whole point of the column, which... I think everyone that's criticizing me has read it, but I'm not positive. Um, If you listen to Twitter.com, one million people have read that column. And if you look at our Google Analytics numbers, it's less than that. So I'll just take for granted that that everyone who's criticizing me has read the column. We'll say that's a, a given. And what you'd see is that I was saying, okay, now to get to where you wanted to go, 88 plus wins to get to the postseason, Now you'd have to be like a 94 or a 95 win team that the rest of the way. And that's the part that I see as unlikely. No Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton was out of the lineup, and then he's getting reinserted without a rehab. Irvin Santana's missing, obviously. Trevor May will be back soon. Jorge Polanco's suspended for the first half of the season. I wasn't saying that the Twins are mathematically eliminated. I was saying that the math that I'm considering here makes this early start really difficult to overcome, and I still think that that's the case. Half game behind Cleveland at the time I got that tweet, which made me chuckle. I still stand by that take. The Twins are playing better baseball right now. They look like a better team, and it's going to be a tough road to hoe. It's going to be a steep hill to climb, and I just, if you don't want to call that math, that's fine, but I'm considering it math if you're looking at 
rest of season projections. And if you're looking at what we thought of them preseason versus what we think now, projected wins the rest of the way, what the division looks like, the AL Central winning percentage as a whole. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff to factor in here. I wasn't just blindly guessing and going hot take artist saying, it's over, burn it down, see you in Fort Myers. I am certainly not that guy. You guys know me better than that. Um, it's probably one of the hottest takes that I've had since I started working at 1500 ESPN five years ago. But it's a take. It was a uh, reasoned and calculated column that I wrote, and I read the column the other day. I'm not mad. I'm not mad with anything that I wrote. So uh, I've said this before, but it bears saying again as we wrap up this point as I defend myself here. If you're going to tweet me about that column for the rest of the way, when the Twins go on their 22-game winning streak and seal up the American League Central, do not tweet me unless you're giving me credit for lighting the fire. That's all i got to say. Huh. Oh, I feel like 50 pounds lighter now for having gotten that off my chest. So thanks, Twins Cold Takes. I do. Uh, I appreciate the publicity. And Brad Simon for the, yes, pretty funny graphic on Twitter. I got to give it to you. Um, I'll give a quick shout out to a couple other stories I wrote, and then I'm getting back into your questions. I see them still flowing in here as I'm rambling. That's awesome. Um, Jake DePew wrote about Luke Bard, who's back in the Twins organization. Check out that column. He talked with DePew, I think, in Pawtucket uh, recently. I wrote about Eduardo Escobar. He's a pending free agent, and dude is crushing it right now for the Twins. Just credit where credit is due on that. Our buddy Judd Zolgad wrote about Fernando Romero, and he talked about how his arrival signifies the good new days of Twins pitching. Judd also wrote about Lance Lynn in that post-dispatch column I was referencing earlier. Um, and then I had some fun. I saw Chris Atterbury of Twins Radio Network tweeting about talking with several Twins players. Who, who would make the best two-way player on the Twins? Is it Eduardo Escobar, Jose Barreos, Byron Buxton, Joe Maurer? I had a little bit of fun with that. Maybe we can talk about it if you guys want to. Just somebody, I don't know. If you have a question... Drop it in the comments and say, hey, let's talk two-way players. Otherwise, I'll just fast-forward past that and say, um, if you're interested, to check out the column. I have my three picks of who I'd like to see, and it was it was not Jose Barreos, actually. I didn't pick any pitchers because I think that would be harder than a hitter learning to pitch. Um, what else? What else do we have on the website? Oh, Byron Buxton's back from the disabled list, obviously. And, hey... Former Twins starter Kyle Loesch, former arbitration combatant Kyle Loesch, 14-year Major League pitcher, successful career haver Kyle Loesch, appears to have called it a career. Announced his retirement on Instagram last night. I wrote a quick story about that. Good for Kyle Loesch. Heck of a career. 39 years old. I think, he, I, think I wrote 4.4 career ERA. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. 147 big league wins. Yes, pitcher wins are overrated, but 147 is a big number. So um, tip of the cap to former Twins pitcher Kyle Loesch, and uh, let's get back to your questions. Where did I leave off? Let's see. We answered Jake on addition by subtraction with Miguel Sano. Nick Gordon, we got to that. Dan's, uh, Dan wants to know about Dozier. He says, if Dozier isn't back, who is the team's leader? I think his value as a locker room leader is undervalued. See what happened when Tori and Kadir left. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. Um, it's not that the Twins are ignoring that. I know even their uh, stat geeks are aware that some people believe that, hey, sometimes a player is more than the WOBA he puts on the field and the defensive run saves he adds and the base running runs that he adds to your team. And I think Brian Dozier is one of those players. Um Let's see, though. Who is the team's leader without Dozier? Man, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, you'd think it's Byron Buxton, maybe. Uh, he is certainly that type of personality. I think I think Buxton has more of the leadership qualities than uh, Miguel Sano has. Um, who else? I mean, Joe Maurer, but do we know if Joe Maurer's back next year? 
Um, Jose Barreos definitely has some of that. Um, Jake Odorizzi, to me, just in my brief encounters with him, seems like kind of a quiet, lead-by-example sort of guy. Uh, boy. Yeah, I'd have to think more about this one, Dan. And let's just let, like, let's see how it plays out. Maybe the Twins have a three-year contract offer standing for Brian Dozier at the end of the season that says, hey, come back, we want you. We want to pay you into your mid-30s. Be this leader, be the clubhouse guy, be the face of the franchise. Um, I guess we'll figure out who's the leader if it comes to that. Uh, but for now, maybe a little bit early. Um, Leland says, Leland's cop in the bit. Leland says, greater non-zero chance the Twins win the World Series or I get a date with Scarlett Johansson. Well, let's apply some math here. Scarlett Johansson. Let's, I have no idea what's going on in pop culture, so I'm Googling Scarlett Johansson and filtering by news. Scarlett Johansson married? Ugh. There are a lot of news headlines, man. All right, somebody tell me. Somebody help me out in the chat here. Like, is this possible? Could this dude get a date with Scarlett Johansson? Actress, singer. Uh, Wikipedia says that Scarlett Johansson is recently divorced. Mm, sorry to hear that. Um, so I guess like non-zero chance, Leland. But... Let's apply math to the other side of the equation, and I'm just going to guess. I don't know what the Fangraphs odds say, but we'll use Fangraphs odds as our scientific polling measure here. And I'm going to say the Twins have like a 1% chance to win the World Series. Maybe I'm wrong. Playoff odds at Fangraphs, and they use the, uh, what is it, the cool winnings? Um, cool standings, I think. They... They purchase that and use those projections. I think, I think, I think. Don't quote me on that. American League Central 2018. The Twins, as of this recording, are 15 and 18. That's just a game and a half back of first place. Cleveland, 18 and 18. Percent chance to make the playoffs per fan graphs is 17.5%. Uh-oh, should I start sweating? And World Series percent chance per fangraphs.com. 0.6% chance to win the World Series. So mathematically, I got to say, Leland, probably more likely that the Twins win the World Series, but I don't know. I don't know that. I just copped not knowing much about pop culture. Uh, dude Malcolm here says, no date unless it's his prom. So... Percent chance that it's your prom that you're asking Scarlett Johansson to right now. It is May. It is kind of prom season. But I also think if you're on this chat at 123, it's unlikely that you're a high school student unless you're just really bad and know how to get around the school firewalls and uh, join a Facebook live stream on a Friday afternoon, in which case, awesome. High five. And uh, thanks for joining the chat. Boy, I think your odds are less than 0.6% chance, so I'm going to go with the Twins winning the World Series as the more likely outcome. Thank you for the question. Uh, Greg has a question about Garvin Alston. What have you noticed about him so far as the Twins pitching coach? I don't know. It's hard to say. All I really know is that uh, he's a really upbeat dude. Every time I've talked to him, He's, you know, energy and prep work and um, people say good things about him. But how much can we really know? Like the early results from Romero look pretty good. Um, Boreos' early results look pretty good. But what percent do you attribute that to a new pitching coach who just took over? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And Kyle Gibson looks good. But those changes, as I wrote about in August, started last year in the middle of the season Gibson's been a different pitcher since then, a much better pitcher since then, and I've bought up so much Kyle Gibson stock in that time that I'm going to be a very rich man 
if that ever starts trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, but probably not, and I'll probably have to just continue being a humble sports writer in Minneapolis, St. Paul, covering the Twins and doing Facebook chats on Fridays, which is awesome. So this is totally what I would be doing if I was rich anyways. Now I just need the money. Uh, so I don't know. I, Greg, I don't know if that's a good answer to your question. Maybe he's terrible and I just don't know it yet, or maybe he's awesome and we just haven't seen the um, the fruits of his labor quite yet. I'm willing to wait and let that play out for more than six weeks. Malcolm says... Malcolm says, if the Twins are over 500 on June 1st, I already know where this is going. I hate questions like this. My friends text me questions. They text me questions like this all the time. I'm sorry. I'm going to answer it, but just so you know, I hate it. I hate it. If the Twins are over 500 on June 1st, Sano for Manny Machado and Michael Givens, who says no? Limited market for Machado, a free agent, and a compensation pick. Well, there's a couple of things to untangle there, Michael. Michael Gibbons is a very good reliever, underrated. I would not trade him if I was the Baltimore Orioles. Manny Machado, very good player, even if you only have him for four and a half more months. Miguel Sano, three seasons of control, right? 19, 20, 21... Three and a half, and you don't know what his career is going to be, but you're reasonably sure he's going to have more total value in that time than than uh, Machado has over the final stretch run here. So, like, you're not trying to win this trade; you're just trying to make it work for both parties. I I don't know. I I think I would consider taking that if I was the Twins? I don't think I'd do it if I was Baltimore unless I was really sure that Sano was going to go back to being Miguel Sano. And you mentioned compensation pick. That's not true. If you trade Manny Machado, you don't get the comp pick because you can't offer the qualifying offer to somebody who's been traded during the season. That's why you Darvish didn't have a qualifying offer attached to him this year. Um, But Alex Cobb did. Lance Lynn did. Uh, who Greg Holland did, I think, right? So, I don't know. I hate that question. I I hate being put into a spot where I have to figure out what two different front offices are thinking. And I think the Twins are a pretty smart front office. I have my questions about some of Baltimore's strategies as a front office. But, yes, it's time for the Orioles to reboot, try to get some value out of that thing. But, man, I don't know. I don't know about that trade. I get I get a weekly question about Manny Machado, and until it becomes more reasonable and the Twins are a legit postseason contender, I think I just have to stop answering questions about Manny Machado. I fan these flames too much. It's my fault. I'm sorry. But Malcolm, you're not alone. Everybody wants to know. I just see it as kind of a far-fetched conversation right now at this point. Um, maybe in three months, I'll look stupid for that take, and Manny Machado's going to be hitting third, playing third base for the Twins. I just, I don't know. Um, Dan, and we're getting close to the end here, guys. I've got to wrap it up. It's lunchtime for this guy. Leland says, ouch, my pride. I'm really sorry, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. You walked into that lion's den, and... Uh, wasn't me. It was the math. Blame the math. Um, Dan's got the last question here, and then I'll get into the two-way player thing, and we will say goodbye. Dan says, how long can we expect the outfield to stay intact? And he's talking about Rosario, Buxton, and Kepler. Well, I think that question hinges on Byron Buxton. How long can Byron Buxton stay healthy and in the lineup? And can he get it going with the bat? without a rehab stint. He hasn't faced Major League Pitching in a month until last night. He looked okay, actually. I was paying real close attention during Buxton's at-bats. Um, you know, he wasn't on the fastball. Guys had mid-90s, upper-90s. That's tough to just get on. But 
There was also some good chase pitches that he spit on and did not offer, and that's stuff that two years ago we would have seen Buxton flail away and miss. And so call that a sign of progress, the fact that he's just inserted, boom, right back into the lineup without the benefit of rehab. Sure, he can stand in and like watch a bullpen session, but I think personally having A, never stood in on a bullpen session against major league pitchers, and B, never faced major league pitching without the benefit of a rehab stint, I don't know that that's really the same level. I, I think it's just a whole other animal when you're going to face 95 with life considering you haven't seen that in, what, almost a month. That's a tough ask, and Byron Buxton's got a lot to deal with at the plate. I'm curious to see how he responds this Angels series. But I'm also curious, how's the toe holding up? And how are those migraines? Is that going to continue to be a problem? And one crash into the center field wall, which is, I mean, inevitable with the way he plays the game, is that going to knock him out? It's... It's an unfortunate question, but I think that's going to be a question that sort of hangs over the Twins now. Um, And that's the answer to my question. I mean, like, Rosario's been great offensively. He still makes some boneheaded plays in the outfield that just make you say, like, come on. But he's a good player, and you'd rather have him than not have him. Max Kepler's been great. It's really hard to criticize anything he's done, including his work filling in for Buxton in center field. So how long does the outfield stay intact, Dan? as long as Byron Buxton can stay healthy and in the lineup. Um, So that's it for the questions, at least on my chat right now. I see a couple on Twitter. I'll get to those real quick. Reavers chimes in. Looks like he's defending himself on Twitter. He says, I almost texted you after the home run last night, but I figured you already learned your lesson. Yes, thank you, Chris. I'm sure you're not in the chat because you're on the air right now. Interesting that you're tweeting me while you're on the air right now. I appreciate your attention, but uh, yeah, I got in a fight with Chris at the office a month ago saying, I don't care if Paul Molitor benches Max Kepler against lefties, good for him, make the kid earn it, and Reaver said, more or less, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think he said, you're an idiot, you've got to let Kepler face lefties so he can learn to hit lefties, and uh, I don't know, looking like I was wrong on that one, I'm willing to admit that. And then Brad says, just tuned in, first words I hear, quote, Scarlett Johansson is recently divorced. Sounds like it's going well. Ah, yes. Thank you for hanging out, Brad. If you missed it earlier, we were talking about you. We were talking about the uh, SpongeBob gif, and I defended myself. So if you weren't here for that, sorry, go watch the replay, and uh, I just, I won't spoil it for you. I won't spoil it. I'll let you watch it. Um... So last thing is to get to this Twins column real quick. And uh, I said, just for fun, this is a column I published May 9th, um, just for fun, which Twins player would be the best suited to hit and pitch? Obviously, this is in response to Shohei Otani. And I'm sure there's a columnist in every single market who's going to ask this question at some point this year. Hey, things are going pretty well for Shohei Otani. Who's the next Shohei Otani? And guilty, I'm that guy. Um, But I was just having some fun with it. Um, I don't think that anybody could succeed to the level that Shohei Otani has in Anaheim, but it's pretty interesting. Chris Atterbury turned me on to the question. He tweeted that he'd been talking to several Twins players about who could do it best. He gave four options. He says Maurer, Barreos, Buxton, or Escobar. And our friend Johnny K pointed out on Twitter This is only because Chris Jimenez is no longer with the Twins. Otherwise, he'd be a slam dunk. Yes, Johnny, I'm on board with that. It'd be Chris Jimenez. But I gave a different list, and I'll just give you my three without going through the whole column. My basic point was, man, I think it's a lot harder to pick up hitting if you've been outside of that world for several years than it would be to take a guy with a strong major league caliber arm and say, hey, here's how you throw strikes. Not trying to discredit what pitchers do. I understand it's incredibly difficult, and baseball is constantly evolving to try to favor the hitter. Pitchers have a tough task. I'm an apologist for the pitching side of the game because my favorite kind of baseball is a 2-1 pitcher's duel. But with that being said, I think it's extremely difficult to pick up a bat after five years away and say, here, go get them. Go get them. So I picked 
only hitters, and I said, if you drafted Brendan McKay or Hunter Green, this would be a different conversation. Or if you signed Shohei Otani, this would be a different conversation. But you didn't do any of those things. You drafted Royce Lewis, which, by the way, good job. That's looking like a pretty good pick. Um, And obviously Otani picked a team that trains in Arizona, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So who would be the best on the Twins? I said three guys, and I'll just read you the last one. Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, Joe Maurer are the three guys that I would like to see. Try it. At least give it a shot. Um, Here's my insert on Joe Maurer. We forget it sometimes because he's hidden at first base, but Joe Maurer has a great arm. That same arm and athleticism got him a college scholarship offer to play football at Florida State. The Twins drafted him first overall at a high school that same year, and he signed and turned pro. So if the whole baseball thing hadn't worked out, maybe he would have had to settle for being an NFL quarterback one day. Not saying Joe Maurer would thrive on the mound. I'm saying I'd like to see him try. It'd be really interesting to see a former three-sport star at Creighton just give it a shot. What's the fastball look like? Does he have a changeup? Could he spin the ball? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'd be really curious to see that arm on the mound. So that'll do it for this episode of the Touch Mall Podcast. My thanks to Phil Mackey for letting me take over the feed for a day. My thanks to you, the listener, for putting up with my nonsensical rambling. And my thanks to Brad Simon and Twins Cold Takes for giving me a topic to vent on and all the Twins fans who stuck with me, even after I said they're probably done. Uh, Two quick favors. If you're still here, give this video a like on the way out. If you do that, maybe more people will see the chat next week and come hang out with us. Uh, like my Facebook page, Derek Wetmore MLB. And if you're watching on the Facebook page, subscribe to the Touch Em All podcast. You can find that either on iTunes or your podcast app. Mine's Podcast Republic on Android. I just subscribe to Touch Em All there and get every episode sent to me. So do those things. Follow our Twins coverage. It would mean a great deal to me because it would mean that we'd get to keep covering the Twins even after the Vikings start. And we typically devote all our resources to the Purple and Gold. I'd love to keep talking about baseball. The more you guys can support us, the more likely that is to happen. So signing off on the Facebook Live session and the Touch Em All podcast, I'm Derek Wetmore. Thank you for listening.